you know, GIS software is built and meant for engineers. Um, I mean, Esri is, of course, the ubiquitous software across the industry, but Esri isn't necessarily built for somebody who maybe only just learned that Google doesn't have satellites, right? Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today I'm talking with Rachel and she is the founder of a company called Geosite and what Geosite is aiming to do is to sort of bridge the gap between the the people that understand that maps are important but maybe don't necessarily have the technical background to, to work with some of the more technical software on the market. So Geosite does this, bridges this gap by curating and aggregating both geodata and geospatial analytics and it's really focused on project management and Rachel herself has got a whole bunch of great insights into the geospatial industry which she shares towards the end of the interview so I really hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast Rachel, thanks so much for taking the time to, to do this interview with me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. You're doing something cool with with the this platform that you're developing and that you're a the company that you're a founder of, but you've also got some really interesting views on geospatial as an industry, and I really want to dive into those later on. But before we get into all that, could you maybe give us some background? Yeah, absolutely. I actually am a mechanical engineer, um, quite <laughs> quite different from the geospatial world. Didn't really realize I would end up super involved in this industry. But while I was getting my master's, so my both my bachelor's and my master's are in mechanical engineering from Stanford, I actually worked on a project with the Air Force on mapping out the space industry and the geospatial industry more broadly, trying to figure out what the strategic implications would be of ultra-low cost access to space. Essentially, people were able to launch a lot more. There was a lot of new data. You know, the systems that were in place for managing that data, the access to that data um, and how it was processed was all changing really quickly. And so I actually ended up spending quite a bit of time parsing apart the industry. At the time, I still didn't even realize I would end up building a geospatial platform. I went off and did a PhD that was, you know, in the mechanical engineering department at Stanford, but more organizational theory focused and had kind of let it, you know, fall, fall into the background. And then, you know, years after doing that study, came across some users on the military side who were really struggling to pull together spatial data and struggling to communicate and collaborate on on that data and went back and looked at the industry and started to realize there were there were issues with the way the industry was coming together. Um, And there was a huge gap in the types of software that were available to people to work with geospatial industry or geospatial data, rather. Um, And so, you know, basically started throwing around the idea of the company and it snowballed from there, which is, I think, a great way to start a company. Okay, so it sounds like you identified a problem in the market. And so you you figured out a solution. But before we dive into those things, can you tell us a little bit about the, the software that you saw in the market and then the gap in that software? Yeah, absolutely. One of the really fascinating things about geospatial right now is there's so much more really interesting data and so many companies that are starting to process that data and analyze that data. But one of the issues was most geospatial software, you know, GIS 
software is built and meant for engineers. Um, I mean, Esri is, of course, the ubiquitous software across the industry, but Esri isn't necessarily built for somebody who maybe only just learned that Google doesn't have satellites, right? Um, and people who don't know how to interact with different different bands within that imagery. They don't know how to do these different things, but they still want to leverage spatial data for their applications. And so when I was looking out at the industry, um, realizing that all of the software that was out there for spatial data was extremely complex, which is fantastic when you're an engineer and you need that complexity to do analysis, to discover things in the data, to manipulate the data, to work really um, intimately with that geospatial data. But it left anybody who was not, you know, as well practiced with spatial data or hadn't been trained to use these systems or had the experience with these systems, it kind of left them out of the picture. And I realized that what was really needed was a piece of software that was built for people who don't understand geospatial data to work with that data. Of course, this means that you know, our system has to do a bit of curation, right? So if our customers don't understand who has what kinds of data, we have to help decide for them. It means that when it comes to analytics, you know, we are, we're helping curate that as well based on those users' needs for, for each industry. And so really it was, you know, that gap was that, that huge, steep learning curve between knowing that maps are important, especially when you're running logistics or complex planning and operations across the surface of the earth, and actually understanding how to manipulate data. And so we, what we realized was we needed to create a piece of software that was approachable and intuitive and still allowed people to leverage the huge growth that's happening in the geospatial industry. I think what, you, what you're getting at here is that um, the, the barriers to entry were way too high with, and, and are still very high in terms of traditional geospatial GIS software. And I would definitely agree with that. And but but it's interesting that they are so high when you think about the the penetration of geospatial data into the market. So there's a statistic floating around out there in the world. I've never tested this, but uh, you know it goes something like that. There's eighty percent of all data has a geospatial component. So it's interesting that the barriers to entry are so high to get access to this data is so difficult, and yet there is so much of it. I completely agree, and. Part of the reason I think that that statistic is fascinating and that was, I mean, that's one that we honestly cite all the time because I think many times because people aren't able to work with data spatially, what happens is they're taking what is inherently a spatially referenced data set and putting it into an Excel spreadsheet or putting it into some other form where it actually loses that relevancy that it would have in a geospatial platform. And so even though a lot of these data sets have a spatial component, it just gets lost, right? Um, and so, you know, we, we work with industries where they're using these distributed data systems, right? So whether that's tracking or monitoring or all of these, you know, industrial IoT type um, sensors and in the metadata is always a latitude and longitude, right? Because it, it's tracking that location. And yet still, when those users interact with that data, a lot of the time, it's not put into a spatial um, system where they can view it across a map 
in relation to other spatial data that would help contextualize that information. And so that, you know, of that 80% of data that has a spatial component, I think only a tiny fraction of it is actually leveraging that spatial piece of the data. Back in the, the good old days when, when I started learning about GIS and geospatial, the, the saying was that spatial was special. And um, it, it was special because you needed to be a specialist to interact with this data. Like, like what we're saying, just talking about now, you needed to be a specialist. You need to have some sort of degree. You needed to have some, a, a lot of experience behind you. And spatial data was treated differently. But I think now those barriers are slowly but surely being eaten away and people aren't talking about spatial data anymore. They're just talking about data. In the same way, we, we don't talk about time data. We talk about data that has a time component data that has a spatial component. And I think we're going to see more and more of this in the future as these barriers to entry in terms of access to the data get slowly but surely broken down. Okay, so we've come a long way already. We've identified a problem that you saw in the market and you've made a, a platform that, that that solves this problem. Can you tell us about the, the, the platform itself? What does it do? What does it look like? Absolutely. So I'll start with kind of the theory behind it a little bit. And then, you know, the first applications that we've built on it. Um, you know, when we started this company, it was kind of a big dream of, you know, geospatial is amazing. We want to bring it to everybody. How do we make sure that people can run more efficient and accurate and safer operations, um, whether those are construction or military operations or, you know, building roads or tracking objects, you know, whatever it is. Ultimately, the, the core thesis is having better information makes people more efficient, more accurate, you know, safer, faster, all of those things, right? Um, that's probably my mechanical engineer coming out. I studied manufacturing for a long time, so I always Makes get sense. really excited about efficiency. <laughs> but um, but beyond that, um, the the core idea was we're not going to produce data. There are a lot of really fascinating data sets out there. We're not going to do analytics. There are a ton of really incredible companies these days that are producing analytics on top of all types of spatial data. And so really the piece that we were going to focus on was aggregating data and making it accessible for specific applications. So, you know, more granularly, what that is right now, our two main customer segments are, you know, we work with the U.S. military, especially the Air Force, and then we also work in the energy industry. In the energy industry, there's a ton of construction. There's a lot of logistics issues. There's, you know, your team is spread out, not just across a county, but in, across multiple states. And so the spatial aspect of the, the issues that they're facing are really large. So essentially right now, the key product that we have on the platform is a project management tool for planning and logistics and running operations spatially. So you can imagine it's a set of dashboards and a map, right? Um, that's what most geospatial um, systems look like. But the real focus here is around project management. And so if you're running various projects, you have different people involved in those projects. Each of them need to be able to update the system, communicate with each other, um, be able to change and, and keep track of versions of data um, and, and notify each other of changes or actually see what's going on. Um, in the energy industry, a lot of the people that we work with don't even realize that there is imagery that isn't Google, right? And so for us, one of the, the major value adds of our current application is the fact that we don't force our customers to think about those things because 
We form partnerships with the largest satellite companies, and we provide that data to our customers automatically on the platform for the areas where they're operating. And so, you know, they don't have to think about, is this coming from Digital Globe, Planet, Airbus, you know, you name it. They just open it and they see, oh, there's a new high resolution image of the area where we're operating. And so they can see that, they can see where the roads have been built, they can see what's going on. Um, and then overlaid on that, they can see the GPS trackers of their vehicles or the monitoring systems that they have in place. And so that's the specific application that we're working on right now. In the future, our hope is to build all sorts of things on top of the platform. That sounds like a really good plan. Hey, I just want to, I noticed two things there when you're talking about, two things really jumped out to me and they were both really great observations. And the first one was um, that there's already lots of companies out there doing this great analytics of data, you know, producing amazing data sets and, and there are specialists in that field. And there's all sorts of great companies out there that are really, really, really skilled at collecting data, gathering data, whether it be from space or from other uh, vehicles or from drones or the internet of things. So we've got these two groups of companies, I guess you could call them out in the marketplace. And that's fantastic. We have a lot of people collecting data and creating data, but which is great for us as users, you know, it introduces competition into the marketplace. And that sort of, you know, that gives us a lot more choice, but it also would lead to a very fragmented industry. So this idea that, that you've got of curation of data being equally important and just making it easy for pe for people, I think that's a really, really amazing insight. And the other, the other thing I, I really noticed when you were talking was that, um, you talked about people not really caring where the data came from. Just show me the best data, thanks. Like, I don't have time to worry about what stamp is on it, what brand it came from. I'm just interested in seeing the latest satellite data of the area that, that I'm interested in. Exactly. I mean, but that wasn't an insight I had in the very beginning. That's definitely an insight that I learned trial by error. Um, I remember I, you know, I, it was a little bit jarring, of course, for me. I was talking to somebody and I was, you know, nerding out about, I think, polar orbits or something really esoteric about, oh, yeah, they're able to collect this data because of this. Or, you know, I was describing SAR data to someone um, and I would just see these customers, their eyes would glaze over. They'd be like, OK, but what does that mean for me? Like, I, I have these really complex needs in this complex industry and all of this other stuff that I'm doing. I can't necessarily keep up with the space industry. Um, and so it definitely took me a while to come to that. We used to have, you know, data on our platform organized by provider because we, you know, the original assumption was, oh, people will know enough to know, okay, you know, if I'm looking for high resolution, I'm going to go here. If I'm looking for most recent, I'm going to go here. Um, but realistically, they, they didn't. Nobody was ever using that as a search function. And so, you know, while it is a great insight, it didn't come from anywhere. And so, um, so that's, that's been very interesting, but yeah, it, it definitely took me talking at people a few times, realizing that they were a little bit bored. <laughs> I don't think it really matters how you get there as long as you got there. Right. And it sounds like you've had these great insights and now you've acted upon them and you're building something that's going to, that's going to help people make it easier to, to get access to this data, to use it. Now, in the pre-interview, we, we talked a lot about uh, Geosite and and we're throwing different ideas around about how you describe it. And one of the things I think you threw out there was like it's the the Google Drive of geospatial. 
And then later on, you had another great one, which was something like the the Switzerland of geospatial. Um, th those are two really interesting uh, ways of thinking about a, a platform, a data platform. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think we still spent or we still spend quite a bit of time trying to figure out how to express really succinctly what we're doing. Um, so I'm glad that at least those two seem to to make an impact. I mean, so the first one, calling us the you know Google Drive of geospatial, for me that was you know a little bit personal. I you know create a lot of presentations to talk about our company, and for the most part, you know we'll iterate on it as a team within Google Drive. It's a very accessible tool. It's easy to use. Um, you know, it's it's on the cloud. All of that. And then, you know, when I need to actually sit down and do some serious graphics work or, or make things really granular, I'll switch over to PowerPoint, right? They're, they're two different tools. One is built for collaboration. It does have somewhat stripped down tools, but it's great if you're, if you're doing basic things and you need to collaborate with your team and have version control and comments and, and all of that um, that comes through collaboration. Vice, a piece of software that, you know, is a bit more sophisticated, has, you know, deeper tool sets, but also takes a lot more training, right? Um, I've been using, you know, <laughs> Word or PowerPoint for years. And so, of course, I can do more faster on there. Um, and that's, in my mind, when I'm talking to people about the difference between us and, and maybe Esri, right, which people will ask how we're different from. The second one about being Switzerland, this was really something that I'm so grateful that I got to spend so much time analyzing the industry. And so it meant I came in and I already had a map of the industry in my head that I had created before I had all the biases that come with running a company within the industry. And so in my mind, you know, I break apart the industry into people who are producing data, people who are reselling data, software tools to manipulate that data, and then also analytics companies. And one of the things that I realized right before deciding to start the company was that even though a lot of these data providers or, or people who are doing analytics are starting to create better and better platforms for their data, ultimately for the end user, that doesn't help very much because, you know, if one data provider creates a platform, it's not like they're going to also get all the data from the other providers. And then on top of that, a lot of the data providers recently have started doing their own analytics. So there's also a rift between the companies that are, you know, doing machine vision or, you know, running various AI um, type algorithms, right? Mostly just machine learning and machine vision type stuff on this data. There's even a rift between them two. So the data providers and the analytics companies aren't necessarily cooperating super well right now. And ultimately, there's a lot of you know, you, you called it fragmentation, I think, earlier, a lot of fragmentation in the industry, which ultimately, I think, definitely ends up stemming consumption of this data, either collected or created, right? And so what we really wanted to do is be the Switzerland of geospatial data, right? Like, we are capable of working with everybody because we don't compete with the data providers or with the analytics companies. And what we're going to do is try to pull together the absolute best data we can for each of our customers. Um, and so in that way, um, yeah, definitely Switzerland. Those are kind of the two metaphors we've been running with. I think it's great. Metaphors really help people understand, especially if there's a, a really easy to understand um, explanation behind them. And I, I think you did a really good job of explaining that for us. Thanks very much. 
Uh, okay, so we've got the Switzerland of geospatial data. We've talked a little bit about the industry and we've talked about the problems you saw in it. And then we've, we've talked about how you're seeking to solve those problems. So I log on to my Switzerland of geospatial data, geosite. Uh, what does my user journey look like? Or what, what, yeah. what would I use it for? So I can give a, a specific use case in the energy industry. So let's say you, you know, just got investment. You are going to start building roads and pads and, you know, start running a large operation, you know, across maybe Texas, right? What the user is going to do is log in, create a project, define the area that that project is going to take place over add all the people from their organization who are also going to work on it. They can start to drop in any of the files that they already have um, for that project that they may have been collecting in the very, very, very early stages of planning, and then start to build out an actual construction and logistics plan on the platform. So they add everybody, they start to look at the imagery, they might realize, oh, there's actually a road here that isn't mapped great, let's figure out what the, you know, the rights are on using that road. Can we use that road instead of building another one and having to, you know, maybe chop down trees or go across some sort of um, other areas and, and reduce damage to, to the surface of the earth, right? And that's one of the things we find people doing a lot is trying to utilize things that have already been built rather than, you know, building new roads or building new, new leveled areas. And so they'll start to make the plan on there. Then as the project continues, they'll continue adding other types of people who are, you know, might be contractors or who are a part of different pieces of the project. And so, you know, the next stage might be that they're sending people out there. And so they're tracking, you know, their people's movement in and out of a location. They're watching construction happen and they're able to monitor all of this from their desktop and keep the team informed. And so, you know, there were there were times where you know, during a pilot, someone was like, great, we could circle this area and let someone in the field know, hey, I need you to move all of the equipment that's in this area over to this other area because we have this large rig move coming in tomorrow, right? And so the ability to communicate spatially became a large part of what, what we expect people to do on the platform. It sounds it sounds really interesting, and it sounds uh, remarkably lightweight. And I think that's because you're we come back to that idea of data curation as a as as opposed to creating it yourself. And as, as well as the analytic side, if you strip that away, then we're down to the visuals. You know what I mean? And I'm sure there are like uh, analytic components to to what you're doing, but if you strip that away, like you have a very lightweight uh, system that I imagine anyway is quite easy to use. Now we're, we've talked. A little bit about geosite and what i'd like to do now is move off and look into the future because i discovered during the pre-interview that you've got a lot of really interesting interesting thoughts and insights to, to how this industry might develop with time and i remember one of the things you you said to me during the pre-interview was that in your mind that more and more data will be owned and not shared and to, to me, this kind of flies in the face of, of what we're seeing out in the industry at the moment in terms of OpenStreetMap, and we've got more and more people contributing and making data open. It seems to be the way the industry is going, this sort of openness, take it, share it, use it, create industry around it. Can, can you explain your statement there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll caveat this with, this is Rachel rubbing the crystal ball, um, trying to predict the future, which, you know, who knows? But ultimately 
my view on this comes from my experience with people who are outside of the geospatial industry that are interacting with geospatial data. I think within the geospatial industry, part of why it's thrived is people are really open and they collaborate and they share data. But once you look at a lot of the commercial applications for spatial data, I think you start to realize that the data sources, especially the spatial data sources that people are going to lean on more and more become you know, their own private data. So there, there are two main examples here. The first one is, you know, right now we do have commercial satellite imagery and it's incredible and you, you cannot replicate that kind of coverage with anything like a drone. But as regulations start to change and drones can fly non-line of sight, more and more organizations are start, going to start buying their own drones. You get higher resolution imagery. You can decide when it's taken and so you can, you know, take it as often or as infrequently as needed. And if you look at Australia as a proxy for the U.S., a lot of these heavy industrial applications are leaning more and more on drone data over satellite data. And so if we just think about the, the visual piece of the data set, even there, you're starting to see a move towards proprietary data. And so in the U.S., you know, there are already a couple waivers for non-line-of-sight drone flights for you know, pipeline inspection or things like that to help detect before a disaster happens or in the beginning of a disaster or any sort of problems um, that might be happening in very remote areas. And so, you know, my belief is that, you know, we'll, we'll end up leaning more and more towards this proprietary imagery. The next bit of it is, especially with, you know, new distributed sensors, people are collecting a lot of data about the earth from the surface of the earth with various IoT systems. And so, you know, the people that we've worked with, they'll have tons of sensor platforms on the ground and all of that's feeding in, but it's not necessarily shared outside the organization. And in fact, they go to great lengths to make sure that it's not. Um, and it's not always just providing information about, you know, their assets. It could also be providing information about the surroundings. It could be proprietary weather data for each of their systems that are, you know, out in the field. It could be, you know, various types of monitoring for seismic or for things like that. And ultimately, those data sets end up belonging to the organization that's collecting it because those sensors are becoming so ubiquitous. And if you look at, and this is back to, this actually goes all the way back to that space study that I did ages ago, the communications platforms that are coming online that are enabling more and more of these um, distributed sensors, these industrial IoT systems, means that you know, that data is feeding back more and more real time. And so it becomes more and more valuable. And so, yeah, my, my view is a lot more of these data sets will become privately owned rather than you know, sold commercially or you know, provided publicly. And so that's one of the other reasons why with our platform, we were like, great, we need to be able to handle all of these different kinds of data as the market shifts, right? Or if it shifts, right? Maybe it won't. Um, my view is it will, but regardless, I mean, if it ends up, you know, everybody leans more and more towards satellite data, great. If they lean more and more towards drone data, you know, I won't be surprised and, and we're already prepared for it. 
you make some really good really good cases definitely uh, around that, that that's for sure but i i wonder how that would affect you then a system like yours that seems to be again based on that idea of uh, curation of data if more and more people are owning their own data and unwilling to share it for whatever reason maybe it's too expensive to share maybe they maybe there's some sort of legal ramifications with sharing it maybe they have a, a certain responsibility if they share it then they need to prove that it comes up to a certain standard for whatever reason they're unwilling to share it how is this going to affect a platform like yours which is designed for curation of data yeah i mean so the our platform isn't necessarily designed for curation the curation that we do is a product of the industry that we're in so right now there's a you know a huge divide between people who understand the geospatial industry and people who are in other commercial industries and so we help kind of bridge that through that curation. But if you think about, you know, earlier you called it lightweight. It's a very lightweight software for interacting with this spatial data. That doesn't necessarily change. It doesn't matter if the imagery is coming from a satellite company or if that imagery is coming from one of their drones. Um, regardless, they need somewhere to view it and collaborate on it and build out and communicate plans um, as well as stay updated. And so for us, you know, right now it's, we absolutely love doing this curation um, and not even just curation. I think that's a little bit stronger than I would put it. A lot of times it's actually aggregation. And then we let the customers decide for themselves what they're using um, by providing all those layers and, you know, they can decide which ones they're viewing. But ultimately, even if the, the data sets are purely owned, a lot of the organizations we've worked with still have these issues. So if you imagine it even on the government side, right? So we work with the U.S. government. And there are many different ISR platforms, right? Um, many different platforms that are collecting data, but each of those often stream into their own system and are owned by different people. And so even across their organization, they end up with lots of different pools of data that need to be aggregated. Or for instance, on the energy side, you know, right now we see our customers having to use 10 or 12 different platforms and then correlate all of the data in their head, right? So they'll have to look at, at one system that's showing, you know, monitoring updates. They'll have to look at the lat long, then go over another system, pull up that lat long. So these issues exist even just with the proprietary data already. Um, so you know, even if the, the data becomes more and more private, I don't think it would necessarily hurt our company. It sounds like you've you've obviously thought deeply about that. And I, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts with us on, on that subject. I'd like to sort of shift gear a little bit now. And um, I'd like to talk about a tweet that I recently saw. Uh, this tweet was about a conference where the focus was space and geospatial skill sector. And the topic of discussion was how to build a bridge over the gap between the education and the training and the demand for the industry. Now, I don't know the, the ins and outs of this tweet. I didn't click on the link or anything like that. But it sounded to me like there was a supply and demand problem. So when you look at the industry, what might be the problem? What might be the... What are the educational institutions doing wrong? Are they turning out the wrong kind of people with the wrong kind of skills? Uh, skill sets that the industry is not interested in doing or are using, sorry? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't read this tweet or the article either, but my, my guess is, you know, based on my experience with people who are outside the geospatial industry, who are interacting with spatial data, a lot of times, many of these companies don't have a single geospatial engineer, or if they do, 
it's not necessarily a geospatial engineer. It's maybe a geologist who now got tapped to, hey, your job title includes geo. You should be able to figure this out. And so, you know, they'll pull somebody with some other sort of engineering expertise into the role of geospatial engineering, but they won't necessarily have anyone on the team who is actually used to interacting with geospatial data, you know, the kinds of geospatial data that we're talking about. And so I think, you know, what that's probably drawing on is the same reason why we started the company is this idea that so many organizations are starting to work with so much more spatial data, and yet they don't necessarily have the expertise on their team to actually use that data within their organization. And so what they really need is people who can come in and, you know, pull together the different streams of data that they have that are spatially referenced for that company or for that team. I mean, we've seen companies that have tried to, to work around this by, you know, writing code on top of ArcGIS and basically building out their own system for bringing together their spatial data. But there are very few companies that can either afford or can find that expertise. And so I think, I think that's probably what it was drawing upon. Um, as more and more of this data is not just, you know, something that can be thrown into a spreadsheet, these organizations are realizing that they really do need more geospatial geospatial engineers on their teams who can interact with this data. So I, I realize, of course, that you did not read the tweet and you did not click on the link either and, and read the entire article. But but it sounds like that that your assumption here is that um, it's not so much that we're that the um, geospatial industries, uh, geospatial professionals, so the educational institutions are sort of churning out. It's not like they're lacking in skills. It's maybe just that there's not enough of them. That would be my guess. Absolutely. I mean, luckily at our company, we have a brilliant geospatial engineer, but that was one of the things I was worried about in starting the company is, am I going to be able to find an amazing geospatial engineer who's going to join some early stage startup? <laughs> and so there really are not enough geospatial engineers. That sounds great news for, for everyone, everyone in the industry. Great. Hey, um, I'd like to finish off with, with two really big questions, and, and I appreciate that they're not the easiest ones to answer, but I'd like to try anyway. What is the future of geospatial? What are some of the big changes we might see coming in the next few years? Yeah, so the first, the first we kind of talked about, you know, the, the strongest, probably, you know, somewhat controversial view of mine about how data will become more and more proprietary and private to each individual organization. I think the next bit of it is that there are so many new technologies that are, are out there that I think that statistic about 80% of information having a spatial component will just skyrocket because our ability to track objects in a really, really um, finite way will mean that more things have relevant geospatial, right? So it's not just, I think geospatial will start to transcend, okay, this is, you know, we're looking at an entire continent. You know, down to now, we'll say, okay, we're looking, we know where things are down to, you know, within a few feet. But once people are starting to put um, more connected devices into their lives, each of those objects is going to be tracked within even internal environments, right? So, you know, where is my phone in my house, right? Like, I feel like that's a geospatial problem that, you know, maybe I'm the only one that loses my phone all the time in my house. But um, I think geospatial will start to have even broader applications as we have the ability to know where things are more and more accurately. I think, I think that's the future is that, you know, we're able to map 
more and more objects to where they are on the surface of the Earth. So it sounds like that the future of geospatial, the big change we're going to see is more of it. You know, we're going to see a lot more applications. We're going to see more data and more use cases for this, which, again, is, is great news for, for the industry. And, and this is another relatively sort of broad question, and I appreciate that there might not be so easy to answer, but I'd re I really look forward to hearing your thoughts around it. As a geospatial practitioner, what, what kind of skill sets should I be thinking about at acquiring for, for the future, to prepare myself for the future? Honestly, I think not just the future, but, you know, even counting right now as kind of this giant wave for geospatial, I think the ability to communicate really well is a skill that goes under-trained and under-practiced. The ability to realize when the people around you don't necessarily understand the same jargon that you do. And so the ability to take everything that is geospatial, all the complexities, all of the, the pedantics, which I, you know, I'm all about pedantics, all of the, the detail and be able to translate that out to somebody who doesn't necessarily know what you're talking about. Um, and then vice versa, the ability to hear about what people need and be able to translate that into a geospatial application. I think that the future of geospatial you know, will rely on more and more people who are able to bridge geospatial to the rest, the rest of, you know, the world. I mean, I was at GeoInt this year, and one of the things that startled me when I was there, you know, I'm walking around and ooing and aahing at all the geospatial, you know, capabilities that were there. And I kind of stood back and, and realized the next day that was a fascinating conference. And I met a lot of really interesting people and, you know, possibly some new partnerships and things like that. But ultimately, I think one of the things that the geospatial industry, you know, like you said, spatial is special earlier, has been able to do in the past that is not going to be sustainable in the future is be somewhat um, inclusive. Well, inclusive isn't the right word, but um, the way the way I put it then was geospatial selling to geospatial. Right. It was people who understood the industry talking to other people who understood the industry. It's almost rare that I see people with geospatial expertise at other types of conferences, right? Or actually spending time understanding other industries, understanding other applications, and helping bridge between different industries. I think that's the skill um, that geospatial engineers will need for the future. I completely agree. I, I do. And I'm guilty of this myself. Often, uh, when, when I look back at my experiences in different workplaces, I realize now that I was more in love with the medium than I was with the mission, if that makes sense. So I was all about the shiny geospatial object, the, the thing that was going to solve the problem and do it faster and quicker. And I completely forgot that the actual mission was to communicate a certain idea to these people over here who didn't necessarily have the same understandings as what I did. So I completely agree. I think uh, what we need definitely in, this, uh, in the geospatial industry is more communicators, people that can just get the message out, communicate it and be that sort of level of, of abstraction between uh, the programming world and the, the everyday world, I guess you could call it, if you know what I mean, the less technical people and the, the, the people that have the knowledge, sort of be, be that bridge there. Hey, um, we are... We're sort of coming to the end of our time together, but before I let you go, I really, really, really want to thank you for taking the time to do this interview firstly. I really appreciate your insights. I realize that some of the questions were, were maybe not always that easy to answer, but you did an incredible job. And 
I also want to know where people can go to learn more about you and follow along. Yeah, so our website is a good spot, um, geosite.io, so G-E-O-S-I-T-E dot I-O. Um, we keep it pretty updated. We have a form on there that, you know, if people submit to, we're, you know, responsive to that. The We also have a Twitter. It's just at Geosite Inc. Um, and, you know, we tend to put updates there and talk about what we're doing. Rachel, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and I just want to remind you once again that you are more than welcome to reach out to me on social media. You'll find links to the social media channels in the the show notes. And um, if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend. I would really appreciate it. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Bye.